Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Like Jesus went to the cross, suffered tremendously so that you could spend time with God, so that I could spend time with God. He died on that cross, was buried, rose again, so that you and I could spend time with the Father. What does that say about us when we neglect to spend time with the Father? What is that, how does that illustrate our viewpoint on Jesus and his death? Have you ever thought about why the Lord sent his only son to die on the cross in our place? Why would he give such a sacrifice for us? Well, in today's message, Pastor James talks about the reason for God's ultimate sacrifice. Our sin separates us from God, and there's nothing that we could do to stop the punishment. But God wanted to spend eternity with us forever. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to take our place on the cross, and he endured our punishment so that we could spend eternity with him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. People in Peter's day when he was writing this letter all held fast to this this viewpoint, that these were the angels from Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God, okay? And there's different viewpoints on that. We could spend all day talking about this fun stuff, but we're not going to, because the point is, I don't, I believe it's these fallen angels, these demons, and they're locked away, but ultimately, I don't really care because they're defeated, okay? Minor issue so to speak. Fun to read about and study, and you can go down all sorts of rabbit holes, you know, researching this. I don't really recommend doing like a YouTube search on this thing, because you're going to end up with wild stuff, okay? Don't waste your time. If you want a solid adventure digging into this, we'll just stay within the pages of the Bible. Safer that way. So he goes down to the Spirit, or goes down to this prison to preach to these spirits. And let me, I just, I had to put down some notes here just to help keep me focused in one sense. But the spirits in prison, more than likely demonic spirits, okay? And so why? Why would he go down in there and to preach to them? Now, I, I do want you to understand that term preach does not mean evangelize, okay? It's not, he doesn't share the gospel with angels in trapped up in prison, okay? Because that's the other thought is, well, they're not they're not spirits, isn't it? angels, it's souls, and he goes down and preaches the gospel to these people who are down there to give them a second chance at salvation. You don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. Nowhere. So, but there are people who will fast to that, that, that viewpoint, that these spirits are, there are people, he's given them the gospel and all that good stuff. No, that's not true. That's, not, that's nowhere to be found in the scriptures at all. So the spirits, probably demonic angels that are locked away. But why? Why would he need to go down there and preach to them or proclaim, technically, proclaim a message to those guys? Number one, angels are not omnipresent and they're not omniscient. They don't know everything, nor can they be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. They are not on the same level as God. 
okay? So when you think about God versus Satan, I hope you understand that they are not on the same level. Not, okay? Satan's a bad guy. Yeah, he's a bad guy, but he was created by God, okay? They're not like, oh, who's going to win this fight? There's no, it's not even a contest. With the snap of his fingers, God could totally take out Satan. He doesn't stand a chance. He's just a fallen angel, okay? All of the fallen angels, the host of them that fell away, they are not on the same level as God. They don't share in the power and all that good stuff. Now that they are a different level than us, but Jesus goes down there, and I believe the message that he shares with these fallen angels is game over. Game over. You lose. You lost. You lost. It's over. And he's like, I'll see you guys later because I'm not hanging out down here for a while, for long. I just showed up down here, and in, in some other verses talks about taking captivity captive with him, right? That, like, that's when that, maybe that whole region or that area, like that's no more, and Jesus took those from Abraham's bosom with him, okay? That's, and that's fine, we could talk about that some other time, but primarily concerning this text, Jesus shows, down, shows up down there and proclaims to these spirits, I won you lost. Whatever you thought you may have had over my people, it's been broken. It's been broken. You're down here imprisoned. They have no access, these demons at this point in time and all that good stuff. Maybe if, if you go back into Genesis chapter 6 and you see that, and if, if that is who it's talking about, I believe it is, they, had, they intermixed with the daughters you know, of man. Right? And how did that even work out? Like, and then they produce offspring. How can angels hook up with women and produce offspring? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. When you're like, well, I know the Bible says in heaven, <clears throat> there, you know, none will be married or nor given to marriage. True? True? That doesn't say anything about the physical bodies of these angels. You know, that's just speaking about marriage. And all that fun stuff. What, what do these angels look like? I don't know. We have descriptions of other angels in the Bible, and it's kind of creepy, actually. Like covered with eyeballs and wings. I don't know. That, but those guys like, you know, cherubim and seraphim and different things like that. But do they all look? They don't all look like that. Sometimes the book of Hebrews tells us you, you could be entertaining angels and not even know it. Like heavenly hosts could be in your presence and be an angel, and you not even know it. We've seen that. That's happened all throughout the Old Testament. That's happened in the New Testament. The Christmas story is about an angel showing up to Joseph and Mary. He's like, hey, what's up? Name's Gabriel. Got some news for you, right? Like, and they would have seen him as just a man. Everybody had those big wings, right? Ned, there's no wings, the glowing halo? No, I don't think he had that either. I think he just looked like a dude, as far as I know. But when did that, feature-wise, when did that stop? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is somehow the sons of God, and I don't believe that that's the you know, reference to like the superior race of humans and all that stuff. I don't believe that. I think it is these, 
angel somehow figured out a way to hook up with some of the daughters and produce these offspring that were real. How did that happen? I don't know. Watch a YouTube video, I guess. I don't know. Don't do that. Who knows what you'll come up with then? All I know is that what Genesis 6 represents is depravity and wickedness. Okay? And whatever happened and all that good stuff, it was bad, and it was so bad that God was going to send a flood to wash the whole thing clean. So whatever it was, it was sinful. It was wicked. It was anti-God. The reason why I think it would be these demonic spirits, these angels trying to hook up with daughters from man is because the promise from Genesis chapter 3, when God had confronted Adam and Eve, and, but had also in that confrontation with them had let them know like a salvation would come from you, like the rescue plan would come from your lineage. So if I was the enemy, what would I try to attack? I would try to attack humanity to disrupt that or keep the Messiah from ever being able to be born. All right? So that's why I think in Genesis 6, you got this demonic thing going on there between these fallen angels and these women, because I think they're trying to mess up the genealogical thing. Didn't work. Flood happens somehow or another. Those dudes get locked up as far as we understand. They're, they're put away. They're not able to be set free. But if they're put away and locked up in some sort of prison, they have no awareness, as far as we would know, that Jesus has just died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice until Jesus shows up. And they would know who he is because demons know who Jesus is. And they know who he is, like, not just like, oh, you're Jesus of Nazareth. No, you're Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. They know that. They know that. Sometimes demons theology is better than our theology. They know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about Jesus. And so if these dudes are locked up, being, not being omniscient, in, meaning not knowing everything, maybe they were surprised that one day, that Saturday, Jesus showed up. Right? And they're like, whoa, hold on. How'd you get here? What does this mean? Oh, this means it's over. This means it's over. You're done. You're done. It's not like the battle has been won. The war has been won. He's communicating to these demons, not like, you know, guys, I want to give you a second chance. You know, like, I feel, you know, I feel bad about that whole rebellion thing. Like, no, that's nonsense. He's like proclaiming victory, not just his victory over sin and death, but your victory in Christ. And if it applies to those demons that are locked away, then it also applies to any spiritual principality that is out there. They have no control over you. That has been taken from them. There is power in Jesus. There is freedom in Jesus. Do not allow the enemy any foothold within your life because Christ has rescued you from them. Do not provide them ammunition to try to take you out. Walk in freedom. Walk in this newness of life that has been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Like he, he, he did this. He paid the ultimate price to provide us access to God. 
What are we saying about his sacrifice when we refuse or don't make time to spend with God? Like Jesus went to the cross, suffered tremendously so that you could spend time with God, so that I could spend time with God. He died on that cross, was buried, rose again, so that you and I could spend time with the Father. What does that say about us when we neglect to spend time with the Father? What is that, how does that illustrate our viewpoint on Jesus and his death? Jesus, you know what? That was cool of you to do that, buddy. I appreciate that. My devotions, yeah, you know, they're not what they should be. Well, they better be all that they can be. Why? Because he died for that. He died for that time. And I don't know, we don't go into like legalism and all that good stuff. And this has nothing to do with legalism. This has everything to do with freedom that has been bought for you and for me to open up your Bibles and spend time communing with God. Because the only way you could do that is because of Jesus. Had he not come and died on the cross, you're out of luck. You better buy a bunch of animals and make sacrifices. Try to find some high priest somewhere. If we can locate those guys and they're figuring out that lineage and all that good stuff over in Israel right now, you better hope they get that figured out because you have no real direct access to God unless Jesus died for you. Don't neglect it. Like we're 15 days into the new year and we're all stoked. January 1, Bible plan. Here I go. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do it. Bible reading plan. And again, this isn't legalism. This isn't me trying to make you feel bad for missing some days of scripture reading. I'm not talking about that. If you miss a day, catch up. It's fine. But what I am talking about is this motivation just dies off over time. And it's true of your walk with Jesus. Let's be real. Let's be honest. One day you got saved. You were on fire for him. Is a word we like to use, especially back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, on fire for Christ, which is kind of weird imagery, but whatever. But no, I'm passionate for him. I'm all in. And then, you know, months down the road, maybe years down the road, it just it tapers off a little bit. And then it maybe even starts to dip out. He died so that you could have constant communion with the Father. Let that be your motivation. Let that be your motivation. Not some little check mark box next to your daily Bible reading and you're like feeling guilty because there's so many blank boxes, right? Like, don't let that be your motivation. Guilt should never be your motivation. The beautiful sacrifice of Jesus on the cross should be all we need. Why would I not spend time with God the Father? Why would I not want to spend time praying to him, opening up his word, and Lord, I just I need you to speak to me. I need you to speak to me. So I'm going to get into your word. And I don't care about reading through the Bible in one year. If it means that I'm still pressing into your word every single day, I don't care how long it takes me, because I want to hear from you. I just want to hear from you. Because the greatest price was paid so that I could have direct access to the Father. It's a beautiful thing. But I think he goes, you know, Jesus goes down into this prison and he proclaims this to, to these spirits that are down there. Verse 20 gives a little bit more elaboration concerning who these spirits were. It says, through the, 
I'm sorry, that's verse 19. Verse 20, long ago, okay, keeping in context, they disobeyed while God kept waiting patiently in the days of Noah as the ark was being built. In that ark, a few, that is eight souls, were brought safely through water. Okay, so here's the scene. He, he goes back into, as he's talking about this, he goes back into early into Genesis with Noah. Noah's constructing this ark, and he looks like a, he just looks like a crazy man. Like, why are you building such a big box? Like, that's what it was. It's like a big, just box in their minds. They're like, what, why are you building that thing? And why is it so gigantic? No, you're, you're, not, a, you're not a fisherman. And at, this, at that point in time, they, we don't even know if people were out even on the water. And they thought, like, this is nuts. He's like, it's going to rain. They're like, what's rain? Because right now we have this atmospheric thing where there's not really need of rain. What are you talking about? God told me, build this ark, this tool, this vessel of salvation. Construct this thing. For who? For everybody. For everybody. And animals. Because he's going to send a flood. Like Noah was a preacher of righteousness in his day. And then they thought he was nuts. The only people who got on the boat were his, were his family. And it wasn't like he lived in like isolation and so nobody would hear this message or, or got the memo and so they missed out on the boat. No, word got around, okay? You need to understand, in the day in which Noah lived, it wasn't like how our world is today. Where have, you know, well, there's people in North America and South America. It wasn't like that yet. Okay, so they're, they're still kind of close together. Word would have gotten around. So Noah is faithfully serving God. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's proclaiming to these people who are living absolutely wickedly. You need to stop. You should stop. God said he's sending judgment. And then that whole time, you have these, these spirits who were out causing chaos as well. He, but God waited patiently. He waited patiently. He's long-suffering. He wishes that none would perish, that none would perish apart from him. Says so those eight souls, that's Noah's family. What I always appreciate about the story of Noah and that ark is there was so much room on that boat for all kinds of people. There was more than enough room on that boat for people. And yeah, you had the animals, two by two and all that fun stuff, and Noah turned into, you know, carpenter, then to zookeeper, then to winemaker, and that didn't end well for him, but whatever. Like, he, when he made that boat, though, like, he constructed rooms for his family. I don't know if you've ever seen that within that story, but when he was building the boat, he built rooms for his family, because he knew by faith, even if nobody else says yes, I know me and my family are going in. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, kind of a deal. Through faith, Noah built that. He built it for humanity, but specifically, he built it for his family because he knew, you all can say no, but me and my family are going in. We're going in. So I always love that about his story. Verse 21, corresponding to that. So you got the flood that happens. It washes away the wickedness and all that good stuff. It's destruction. It's craziness and all that. And then, you know, days, many days later, the flood dissipates and all that good stuff. And you have... Well, new life in one sense. But that, that story of the ark, what we see here is it's going to be used as like a, a type for salvation, all right? Your New King James is going to talk about anti-type, 
There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism, okay? Antitype is really, it's, it's something that is foreshadowed by a type or a symbol. That's what antitype means. It's not like it's anti, like against, like, ooh, bad, right? No, it's like, it's a foreshadowing of a truth that had already been proclaimed. So you got New Testament events that were prefigured in the Old Testament. That's really what that word is talking about. And Noah's, Noah in the ark is, is really just a type for us, that we're going to see of like concerning baptism, washing away of sins, salvation. Yeah, salvation. Does baptism save you? No. Baptism, bat, being baptized doesn't get you into heaven. Only Jesus gets you into heaven. But if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, you better get, you, you should get baptized. I'll pull back on that a little bit. No, I'm not. You better get baptized. Get baptized. What are you waiting on? Publicly proclaim an inward reality. If Christ has saved you and you have received that free gift of salvation, he is your Lord and Savior, you go out, out, and be baptized. We talked about this a little bit. It may have been last week. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was last week. We don't have a baptismal here. Number one, our stage is too small. We barely have enough room for us people up here. There's no way we can have like a horse tank or anything up here, right, to dunk you in. But we don't want to do it in this building. It should be done out there. I, I think it's, and, and I get it, the convenience of it within churches. I'm not going to bag on churches that do baptisms in their service. It's a beautiful thing. But at what point in time in history did we take it from outside to inside? And I think we're robbing the world of a witness to see Christ's followers publicly proclaiming that they are following Jesus. That should be outside. That should be in the presence of strangers. That should be in the presence of, of lost people to see Christians boldly proclaiming, I'm a Christ follower. Do it outside. What's not coming in here? Oh, the church is doing baptism service. Let's go check it out. You know, like that doesn't, that never happens. But go out on the beach, and which we do during the summer times. You want to get baptized in the wintertime? That's fine. I will be wearing a wetsuit and booties, maybe even gloves. I hate cold water. That's fine. We'll baptize you anytime. But it will be outside. It'll be outside. Because you need to display that publicly. You need to display it publicly. The, the story of Noah, it's like a foreshadowing of this, you know, this truth. It says, verse 21, corresponding to that, immersion, or baptism, as yours may say, now brings you to safety. And I like that. Here's me say salvation. It saves you. I really like this translation where it says it brings you to safety. Because Noah and his family were brought to safety. They were saved through that experience, but it wasn't the water that saved them. It was the ark that saved them. The ark would represent Jesus. The water is this cleansing thing that happens. And sin and stuff being washed away. They were in the ark, and that's the thing that saved them, but the ark brought them to safety. Your baptism experience is you proclaiming, the old me stays down, being washed clean, so to speak. The new me is being raised to new life in Jesus Christ, because he has saved me, and he is bringing me to safety in him.
Don't you find it interesting that some of the most inspiring stories involve the main character suffering and possibly even dying for the sake of the cause? This theme is interwoven into mankind because it's inspired by Jesus himself. He suffered unjustly at the hands of cruel and sinful men, but the story didn't end with suffering and death. Although the final chapter of this life typically ends with suffering and death, the life beyond earthly existence is something that's worth taking risks and even suffering for. Living the Christian life is risky. It involves dying to yourself and being willing to take the heat from those that don't want to hear the message. If you're just tuning into this message and would like a little more backstory to the book of 1 Peter, we encourage you to go to our website, breadforthebroken.com, and take a look at the additional messages. As you browse our website, you'll also find an easy way to donate to this ministry if God leads you to do so. Are you in the Galveston area? If so, come visit us at Calvary Galveston. Once more, you can find out all the details of service times and location at our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you're not in the area, then you can join us on our live stream. We live stream on Facebook. Just search for Calvary Galveston. Here on Bread for the Broken, our mission is to find hope and new life in Jesus. We trust that what you're hearing on this radio ministry is uplifting to your soul, reminding you that your new life starts with Jesus. Leave a marker in your Bible where we've left off and come back again for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.